Why be enemies? Because we're different? Is that why? Think of the things that we could do. Think how strong we would be. Earth and Mars together. There is nothing that we could not accomplish. Think about it. Think about it. Why destroy when you can create? We can have it all. Or we can smash it all. Why can't we work out our differences? Why can't we work things out? Little people. This is William Hung, and you're listening to the Society Show. Broadcasting live to tape from the new Society Show Theater in the most standoffish city in the world, outside of Austria. This is a podcast for a world gone mad. This is the Society Show. You know, we're living in a society. This week in society. Society. A Russian influencer named Sergei Kasenko, with about 5 million Instagram followers, was deported from Indonesia after he held a party at a luxury hotel on the resort island of Bali, despite COVID restrictions. So, for all my American, my fellow Americans out there, maybe you can uh, feel a little better that people from other countries also go to Bali and make asses of themselves. (laughs) Also, after an abuse scandal associated with a prominent French political commentator, Macron said he would crack down on incest. Yeah, this political commentator was abusing his stepson. And then Macron added, quote, but we absolutely will not crack down on the most sacred type of love of all, student-teacher love, end quote. <laughs> and finally, a Canadian TikTok teen revealed he is from the world's largest polygamous cult where he lived with his dad, the dad's 27 wives, and 150 siblings. All of that and much, much more This is The Society Show. So this is a double episode a week. I I released another episode earlier this week, and uh, in the future, I might do more than one episode a week, might be moving to two. It's not hard and fast rule yet, but uh, you get a second episode, and this is going to be a little bit more of a laid-back one, more like my vintage episodes where it's just me, my soundboard, and the news. So... 
I haven't had the opportunity to comment on Joe Biden being president yet on the show. And I got like, I mean, I've mentioned Joe Biden, but I haven't really talked a whole lot about what that means. And I got to be honest, I don't have a lot to say about it. Biden uh, said that if he was president, he would forget, uh, you would forget about him and not think about him every day. And especially coming after Trump, that seems true. He just became president, and I'm already forgetting about it. Uh, when Trump became president, there was a very palpable sense about where the United States was going. Uh, like, we people were anticipating where they thought it was going to go. And, uh, and some of those anticipations were right, some were wrong. With Joe Biden being president, I'm not even really sure what to think about him. Like... I don't know. So the goal for this episode is to look into some of the most substantial news from around the world today, dig into it, and maybe walk away with a better sense of the state of the world. Because here's the, here's the secret fact. Joe Biden, he, he doesn't have a radical agenda. Well, Trump didn't really have a radical agenda, but he did have an agenda. Biden doesn't have an agenda. His agenda is doing what the the ruling class consensus is. And the ruling class consensus is reacting to other economic and political things. In the sense, I think uh, Biden will be purely reactive as president in a way that Trump... I mean, Trump was not reactive. He didn't... He didn't react to things. He just had his own fantasy land and tried to advance things that existed in his mind. So I think the best way to understand what Biden's presidency is going to look like is not looking at Biden himself, but looking at what's going around in the world. So I will get more into that in a bit, but first... But first, but first, but first, but first, but first... But first, my mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. This is angry cash, folks. Angry cash. I'm going to earn you money, folks. The new segment about the stock market on the society show. So, I have to talk about the GameStop stock situation. Go play a video game. I'm sorry if you've heard all about it. It has been all over Twitter, but um, a lot of people who listen to the show aren't on Twitter. And I also think a lot of people on social media were talking about it in a way that demonstrates they don't fully understand what's going on. I'll be honest, I do not understand what's fully going on. And I'll say this because I've watched enough financial YouTube videos to know to say this. I'm just observing as a fan. I do not give legal financial advice. Do not take anything I say as financial advice. So this is just me speculating for fun. So basically the background is an investment firm called Melvin Capital had numerous short bets on GameStop, which basically means that they were betting on and would benefit from GameStop doing poorly. So if you don't know much about the stock market, this might kind of surprise you in general because it seems like such a counterintuitive and unproductive way 
to deal with the economy. Like, so think about Melvin Capital's in the Capital Center. It's, uh, it's in New York City. You know, they're working with the stock market. They make millions and millions of dollars of in the stock market just by exchanging surplus value amongst capitalists. That's how they make money. But, they, you know, the short betting is basically Wall Street. I mean, Melvin Capital is about as Wall Street as you get. Wall Street betting against a small retailer, uh, basically just like lurching in the shadows for companies that are about to fall and uh, are on the decline, and they benefit when those companies fail. And personally, I think that's a terrible thing to allow in an economy. It's so counterproductive. It basically makes it so the richest capitalists have incentive to tear down the middle capitalists. I mean, I guess they always have that incentive, but it's truly like ingrained in the system. And uh, so here's what happens. So... A bunch of Reddit users then started buying GameStop stocks, causing the price to skyrocket. And this is called the short squeeze because the investments assume from Melvin Capital assuming that GameStop's going to fail, those are shorts. This is a short squeeze because they're essentially squeezing, putting pressure on the people with the short bets by making the value go up. So... I don't want to get into any more specifics. I already used way more financial jargon than I ever wanted to use on this show. But if you've listened to my last couple episodes, I've uh, I've touched on quite a bit how I feel the economy is changing. And the example I gave in both of the other ep- my past two episodes is Elon Musk. Elon Musk has denied that he meant to call a British cave diver a pedophile when he dubbed the guy pedo guy on social media. Because Elon Musk is now the richest man in the world. You think, how could that be possible? I mean, like, he makes rockets and cars, but, like, how is it possible that Tesla is worth exponentially more than Toyota or, or Honda or something? That doesn't make sense to me. And so the thing you have to know is that Elon Musk is only rich as a side effect of his stocks being worth 800 plus dollars or whatever. He's only the richest person in the world because of market speculation, and it's clearly not going to last. Because, I mean, I guess Tesla makes a lot of money from government contracts and shit, but like... and the SpaceX and all that crap, but really, Tesla's worth... Like seven hundred dollars more than Honda. Give me a freaking break, dude. That's just stupid. And so I think the whole Elon Musk becoming the richest person in the world uh, really signifies a change in the way the economy operates. And this thing with GameStop really cements it. In fact, I mean, I've been seeing on CNBC because I've been following this a little. I wanted to talk about it, so I wanted to learn more about it. People on CNBC are talking like, oh, they're definitely going to have to regulate against this. But it might take a couple of years because the government's really slow. It's like, my mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. 
There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. That being said, let's move on to the segment, The Police State. The first is these protests in Russia. The way it's being presented in the U.S. is that they are protesting because Alexei Navalny was poisoned by, presumably by the Russian government. That's the story. He went to Germany for medical treatment, I think. And when he returned to Russia, he was detained. Then all of these protests started. And uh, a lot of people got brutalized by the police. A lot of people got arrested. A lot of kind of bad stuff happened to the protesters. It was not pretty. But one thing I do want to talk about about these protests is, one, I think it it seems a little bit misleading um, to say they all revolve around Alexei Navalny. I mean, think about it this way. When the George Floyd protests were happening, were they entirely about George Floyd? George Floyd represented something so much bigger. He was a symbol for all kinds of ways that the government oppresses people. That's not to say George Floyd... George Floyd was obviously an important part. He need, like We needed to really emphasize how screwed up it was that he was murdered by police. But at the same time, you know, it was during the middle of the pandemic. People were poor. People still are poor. People are more poor than they were then. So there's... And there's just a million things that all culminated in that moment. So when the the Western media presents it like these protests are entirely entirely for Alexei Navalny, that's probably true for some of them, but you have to keep in mind that protests are never that straightforward. And the other thing I want to remind people on is I've talked about Alexei Navalny on this show before. Not when he was poisoned, way before that. Before most people ever probably heard about him, in the U.S. at least. Uh, I'll play a clip from that. In the second article, uh, when New York Times writes about Russian liberals embracing this dude, he really only means one liberal, and he's not even that liberal. So he, he writes, quote, Alexei A. Navalny, a Moscow-based anti-corruption campaigner and Russia's most prominent opposition leader, cheered Saturday's protests in the Far East, hailing the street demonstration as the, quote, biggest in the city's history. Mr. Navalny tweeted a video of the protests and a message of support. Far East, we are with you, end quote. What the New York Times doesn't tell you is that Alexei A. Navalny is the only evidence they have of liberal support, and the guy is by no means left-wing. He's literally a centrist neoliberal technocrat who is pro-West. 
New York Times is propping him up and consequently propping up a far-right political party uh, that has his, you know, indirect support because their goals, all of their goals of undermining the current Russian administration align. All of this is to say, you know, obviously I'm not defending Putin. Sergei Fergal may or may not have been involved with the murders, but either way, I mean, he still was probably arrested for politically motivated reasons, so I'm not defending Putin. My goal is to point out that the New York Times is indeed what they call fake news. You are fake news. But that narrative, the fake news narrative, is completely claimed by conservatives. Conservatives think New York Times is fake news because they have a centrist liberal slant and cover things exactly and don't cover things exactly how Trump wants them covered. In reality, the reason New York Times is fake news You are fake news is because they have to justify American foreign policy positions. And if you're justifying American foreign policy positions, you will often have to obscure facts and frame issues in a completely backwards way. Not only that, the reason they have the illusion of being liberal is because conservatives don't need to be convinced of U.S. foreign policy. You could tell them they're, you're bombing Timbuktu and uh, they'd be like, yay, those people deserve it, yay, when they've like never even heard of whatever you're talking about. What are you talking about? What I was talking about at the time was Alec Alexei Navalny was uh, basically leading a protest in far eastern Russia because a far right, I'd say bordering on neo-Nazi, but not quite, but almost, I'd say comparable to the most far right members of the U.S. government. Um, kind of on that level. He was arrested for being involved in a bunch of murders in the back in the 90s. And there were a bunch of protests for him that Alexei Navalny was leading the charge on. So the thing I, I want to let people know is that Alexei Navalny isn't exactly a good guy. I mean, if he was legitimately poisoned by the Russian government, no one should be poisoned by their government. I, I don't even feel the need to really say that, but um, Alexei Navalny, before 10 years ago, he was a far-right figure. He is a complete political grifter. He just wants power, and he basically realized that there was a lot more... Uh, political capital in calling yourself a centrist, a center-left liberal with maybe some social democratic ideas, but he still calls himself like a nationalist. So all I'm saying is this guy knows where to get political power, and that's what he's always been after. So uh, don't fall into the trap that he's some sort of left-wing hero in Russia, because that is how the media wants you to think of him. And I also want to emphasize that I can say this about Alexei Navalny and still be on the side of the Russian protesters, because a lot of them probably don't care about Alexei Navalny. A lot of them probably 
are exclusively out protesting because they live crappy lives under a neoliberal system. So I'm not trying to um, make the protests look bad by talking about how Navalny is a bad guy. I, I'm just saying, keep that in mind when when the U.S. media tries to make him out to be some type of liberal icon. He was far right until he realized it's more lucrative to be center left. I've been asked to talk about Russia, and I might talk about Russia. Um, a couple more protests I want to touch on, but not as much. There have been riots in the Netherlands for the past three days. Riots are exceptionally uncommon in the Netherlands. Um, it's a pretty peaceful society, I guess. Society. Um, there were, for three nights now, there might be more, um... Basically, they're protesting against a COVID curfew. So this is not that different from those anti-mask protests in Berlin over the summer. Um, I don't know if you remember that. I talked about those on the show as well. It was a, so it's a right-wing protest. And I also want to mention that QAnon, the theory... In the U.S. right now, it seems fairly dormant, right? Like, I mean, it really went away faster than I thought it would after Trump got elected. I mean, it didn't really go away, but they just don't have any momentum. One thing to keep in mind is, in terms of European cities or countries who got turned on to QAnon, the Netherlands is right up there as one of the biggest. It's like Germany, France, the Netherlands all kind of globbed on to QAnon. And I think a lot of these protests are, uh, are related to that. And I want to bring this up to bring up a very uh, important comparison. I made sure to point out that I support the protesters in Russia, even though I don't support Navalny, and I think he's basically a political grifter. But... I do not absolutely on any level support these Dutch riots and you know that might be like hypocritical but I'm using these stories to make a point that you don't have to support every protest you don't have to support every riot you don't have to be like in principle I support all protests I support everyone's right to protest, but I absolutely do not support right-wing protests because they're trying to make the government and world more right-wing, which is something I do not want want to do. I really want to highlight this because sometimes, you know, like when the storming of the Capitol happened with the Trumpers, uh, a lot of them were like, wow, you guys are hypocrites. You can condemn us, but you don't condemn the George Floyd protests. No, because I don't agree with you, and I agree with the George Floyd protests. For me, the content of the idea matters a lot more than seeming like a hypocrite to conservatives. Pardon, meneer, mijn, mijn collega en ik, uh, wij willen, wij willen uh, een winkel vinden. And then let me close with one last uh, protest to really round this circle. This is one that I do not have any negative feelings about, and I completely support it. 
Uh, hundreds of people have been marching in Tunisia to protest the government. Now, the thing that's really interesting about this is about 10 years ago, Tunisia was one of the countries involved with the Arab Spring, which was, if you don't remember, when a bunch of Arab countries... The Arab Spring was when a lot of people, a lot of different Arab countries, either overthrew their government and replace it with a more democratic one or attempted to do that or overthrew their government and replace it with a more democratic one that was then replaced in a coup like a couple years later that's basically what happened with most arab spring countries tunisia was universally held up as the most successful of the arab spring they very peacefully got a new democratic government but now, 10 years later, I mean, there's been protests in Tunisia for years now. Um, so even though it's held up as the most successful success story of the Arab Spring, I mean, they're still protesting. And these protests are growing, and they're specifically against police brutality, um, just an authoritarian government, and they're against the COVID lockdowns, but in a different way, the Dutch are. The, du the Dutch rioters are right-wing who are against lockdowns because they see masks as like a muzzle and they want their freedom or how however right-wingers want to present it. The Tunisians are against the lockdown because it's being used to restrict their freedom of protest. So... I just wanted to give three different protests and really make the point that, like, yeah, the police treated the Russian protesters like crap, and I totally support the Russian protesters. But I do not support Alexei Navalny, who the Western press is trying to make the mascot of this event. I mean, in Russia, he's kind of the mascot of it, too, but there's more to it than that. The Dutch protest, riots, protests, whatever, I really don't agree with because they're trying to make the government more conservative. They're reactionaries. I don't want them to succeed. The, their strategy is completely independent. And then finally, the Tunisian situation, I have absolutely full, full support for them. And... And I guess, like I said, I want the takeaway to be, you don't have to support every protest. And you don't have to be take it if someone calls you a hypocrite for supporting some protests or another. People support what they support ideologically. People aren't like, I will support every riot. Doesn't matter who does it. And now, um, let's do, let's do the facts and logic report, shall we? Facts don't care about your feelings. Facts don't care about your feelings. These are facts. This is just where I talk about some miscellaneous news. And this is how, this is the segment we're going to use to wrap the show up. And um, I'm going to use these news stories to, and everything else I've talked about this episode to loop back into the idea of what is going to happen now that Biden's president. What's the world look like in a post-Biden presidency? 
This first story made me laugh a lot. So Senator Tom Cotton uh, campaigned on his, quote, experience as an army ranger. But he didn't have any. That's the headline from Salon. Let me pull this up, open it up. So, reading from Salon. In his first run for Congress, Cotton leaned heavily on his military service, claiming to have been a, quote, a U.S. Army Ranger in Iraq and Afghanistan, end quote, and in a campaign ad to have, quote, volunteered to be an Army Ranger, end quote. In reality, Cotton was never part of the 75th Ranger Regiment, the elite unit that plans and conducts joint special military operations as part of the U.S. Army Special Operations Command. Rather, Cotton attended the Ranger School two-month-long small unit tactical infantry course that literally anyone in the military is eligible to attend. So this is... Thanks for that, Salon. That's where I was reading from. This is the part I really wanted to dig into. So, I just gotta say, doesn't it... If you know anyone who's been in the Army, um, I know a few. It seems to be a really common trope that everyone who goes in the Army with a, a chip on their shoulder and wants to prove themselves, they go to Ranger School and inevitably don't get in, but still call themselves a Ranger. Like... Or are really into the Rangers. Like, I knew someone... I used to know someone who tried to get into the Rangers. And they did not get into it. But they were always really into the Rangers. And I just gotta say, Tom Cotton, this is pathetic, bro. Like, this is... <laughs> it's the dumbest stolen valor. You, you go in the military... And then steal valor of a more prestigious part of the military? Bro, what was the point of those two or three years or four years or whatever in the military if you're just going to lie about it? You could have just stayed a civilian if you're going to lie about it. Instead, you wasted like six years killing Iraqis instead. What the hell, dude? And what the hell is on said? So, Senator Tom Cotton, if you don't know, the Society Show has an official denunciation list. I would denounce about six or seven people, always kind of adding to it. And I gotta say, Senator Tom Cotton is at the top of the list to get added to the denunciation list. He is next in line, but I won't be adding him today because, personally, I don't care if someone steals valor. Um, so this isn't my battle to be had, but I do want to make fun of this loser, um, especially because he will be running for president in 2024, uh, even though he has the charisma of a potato, basically. And I eat my baked potato, including the skin. Clap if you eat the skin. <laughs> and then now it's time to loop back to uh, how I started the show. So... Here are three of the stories that seem to be some of the most important to me moving forward right now. So, from CNN, at least 32 killed as first suicide bombing in nearly two years rocks Baghdad. At first, people weren't sure why anyone did this bombing, um, but then ISIS came forward and claimed it. And uh, even though ISIS is severely weakened, barely even an organization with 
geopolitical power anymore, I'll put it that way. ISIS still, I mean, they still could have done it, and uh, it does indicate that they probably did, because the two suicide bombers did a strategy that was pretty common for ISIS suicide bombers. One of them went to a busy commercial street, pretended he was sick, um, and waited for people to crowd around him like, are you okay? Are you okay? Then he did the suicide bomb, killed them all. Then a, a second bomber drove by on some type of moped or motorcycle a little bit later. At that point, people were cleaning up the bodies, helping out, um, you know, trying to save people's lives. And so there were a lot of people gathered in the place of the bombing to help. And the second bomber bombed while he drove by on a motorcycle. This type of double bombing where the second bombing kills the people helping the first uh, is pretty common of ISIS. So this is the first ter terrorist attack like this in Iraq for a couple of years now, really. So... Um, not only is this a bad thing in itself, obviously, it's, it's a complete tragedy, but um, let me move on to this next story to show why I'm really concerned on it. So this is from AP News. The headline, Macron calls on Biden for greater U.S. military involvement. So this is basically NATO being like, hey, that meanie pants Donald Trump went away, so, uh, you know, you know, kill people now, please? Which is so silly, because if you didn't know any better, you would think that Trump was the most anti-war president imaginable, but he's just a lot more confrontational with his approach to war, whereas the more traditional American approach is just... Approach it like you're an imperial force, whereas, you know, Trump is way more like, let's, let's just go fight the Iranians, we'll bomb them, we'll fight them with boats, that'll be fun, huh? Whereas the more traditional Biden way of doing it is, come on, man, let's build up our military in the Middle East, man. Let's just put a ton of military in Iraq, man. And, um, so that's a way more of, like, it's a more, like, occupying, settling type of military incursion rather than just, like, let's all blow each other up and see who wins. It'll be very beautiful. All the big boats and the big planes shooting each other out of the air. It'll be beautiful, folks. I interpret that way more as Trump's, Trump's what he imagines is a perfect war. Whereas, you know, Biden, it's like, let's just cut off the supply lines to Iran, man. Make sure they don't influence Iraq, man. Let's let the CIA do their thing, man. So for Macron to basically be begging Biden to go back into the Middle East is one pathetic for Macron it's like dude just accept you're not a world superpower and quit expecting the U.S. to do your imperialist ventures for you but also too Macron wants doesn't just want U.S. troops in Iraq he wants U.S. troops in Syria which is one of the worst ideas I've ever heard
So, Macron, you're really, you're on my shit list, dude. You little imperialist worm. And finally, speaking of imperialism, this last story, its it makes me worried that uh, no matter who's winning the presidency, Trump or Biden, we are still accelerating super quickly straight on to a potentially war with China. So this story from Reuters, U.S. carrier group enters South China Sea amid Taiwan tensions. So... Um, here's a, here's from the body. A U.S. aircraft carrier group led by the USS Theodore Roosevelt has entered the South China Sea to promote, quote, freedom of the seas, the U.S. military said on Sunday at a time when tensions between China and Taiwan have raised concern. So this whole freedom of the seas thing is the most just bold-faced devil-speak I've ever heard. Obviously, what they're doing is they're trying to intimidate China. And they're saying, what are you going to do about it? We're in your, you're in your water space. In fact, we don't even consider this your water space, so what are you going to do about it? Nanny, nanny, boo-boo. That's what the U.S. the US military is doing with this. It's, it's really stupid, and it is really worrisome. Like, this is the type of behavior that I think liberals associated with Trump. But, I mean, they just don't care if someone who's not Trump does it. Facts don't care about your feelings. Facts don't care about your feelings. These are facts. And, I mean, that's that's about all I got this episode. I know it's been a short episode, but uh, that's some news for your uh, weekend. And I guess to wrap up my thoughts, I started by asking, what does the world look like after Biden in the post-Biden presidency? Here's what I'll say. It looks like the stock market... And our general economy becoming more and more untethered from any productive forces, any sort of actual value generation, and it'll become even more dominant. I mean, the fact that the stock market is doing well right now is literally only because the U.S. government pumped trillions of dollars into major corporations, and and then people get their stimmy checks, and they're like... Wow, I could try to win back all of this money that the the, the the government printed for them. Like, I don't know, though. Um, so I think that's where the economy is going. As for geopolitics, I think we're going to continue the same trajectory that the U.S. has already been on. Get into Iraq, maybe more, uh, as pressure on Iran. Pressure Iran in the conventional ways. Um, really try to instigate things with China. I mean, it's all same old, same old. The actors might be different, but it really is the same old, same old. And in general, I think the world is just going to get to be a much more weirder place. Uh, There's a hole where Donald Trump used to be. Biden is not filling it up. He, He wants us to not even know he's there. So what's going to fill that hole? 
Not exactly sure, but I don't think it'll be anything particularly good. Uh, And with that, this has been a special short weekend episode of the society show thank you for supporting this show get you caught up on the news thank you for listening you can call the podcast at 971-238-4138 or 971-BETH one EU. That's the way you remember it if you remember the number or the letters rather than the numbers. 971 Beth, one EU. can also write into the podcast at societyshowpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow the show on Twitter at society underscore show. And you can follow me personally on Twitter at Christian is cool, Christian IZ cool. And with that, Thank you for listening to the Society Show. Hi, everyone. This is William Hung, and you're listening to the Society Show. So thank you for supporting this show. I'm bisexual. I like women and men. Stop telling me to pick just one of them. I'm attracted to both masculine and feminine. What's happening? I'm bisexual. Society show. Society show. Society show.